Well, it's Budget Day 2023, and probably the most unexpected aspect of the budget is the lack of any additional tax increases at all. We can all be very thankful, too, towards South Africa's mining sector and a fantastic couple of years for commodity prices, which meant we collected almost 94 billion rand more in tax than budgeted. And just how important the mining sector is is actually clear in the fact that in this financial year, it accounted for nearly 30% of provisional corporate tax. That's the good news. The bad is the amount of money we are spending on debt service payments. It'll hit almost 341 billion rand this financial year. And the fact that the government has also had to take on more borrowings, being the 254 billion rand it's assuming of ESCOM's debt. And with me now to discuss uh, the budget from the point of view of organized business are Busi Mavuso, the CEO of Business Leadership South Africa, and Mike Brown, the CEO at Nedbank. Busi, Mike, uh, good to see you there uh, uh, on our screens this afternoon. Um, Mike, if I may start with you, actually, you're a, you're a finance man. Um, is this the most efficient way of taking on ESCOM's debt, which is regarded as crucial to, to giving the utility some sort of fighting chance at pulling itself right? I mean, is this, if you were looking at this uh, for a private company, is this what you would have done to, to restructure its debt? Well, you know, certainly ESCOM is not a private company, and ESCOM, we all know, is a state-owned monopoly that's simply too big to fail. So that means I think it does fall into a very special category of how its debt needs to be restructured. And importantly, you know, about 325 billion of Eskom's current debt is already guaranteed by government. Mm. So in essence, from an economic point of view, view moving debt off Eskom's balance sheet onto the guarantor. In fact, government or taxpayers' balance sheet um, really doesn't change the economics of that outcome. And I certainly think this is the best way to start resolving the multiple challenges that Eskom had, some of which are financial and many of which are operational. But we would certainly be very supportive of of this mechanism that we've been waiting for, quite frankly, for a very long time. Yeah. Busi, you're nodding your head vigorously then. Of, you, of course, you have seen ESCOM from the inside. Do you agree with Mike? I mean, or, or do you think maybe the quantum of debt that the government has assumed could have actually been bigger? Because there's a, an argument that they should have gone much bigger on the amount that they're taking on. I absolutely agree with Mike 100%. I actually think that the 254 billion debt relief that have been granted was actually larger than expected. And I really am pleased that they've actually attached to the, condi the conditionality to the debt transfer, which is something that the markets were watching very closely. And I think the fact that they've provided the two conditions, which are the fact that ESCOM needs to prioritize capital expenditure towards transmission and distribution, as well as focus on the maintenance of the generation fleet, you know, to improve energy uh, availability, is, is definitely a positive move. Because I don't think that you actually take up so much debt, you know, uh, onto the government's balance sheet without actually giving conditionalities in terms of uh, what is expected from ESCOM. So we really believe that this is a highly positive move towards improving the much needed energy security in the country to enable us to start growing at the right levels. And hopefully, you know, with the incentives that are provided, investment will also flow. And it is interesting that the investment or rather the tax incentives that are actually provided are also meant to fuel and support the energy security agenda. So I really think that it's a brilliant move. And I think well done to government on that front. Yeah.
Okay. Well, I was going to ask both of you, um, if you had an ideal budget, what would it be and how far does this either stray from that ideal or how closely does it cleave to an ideal budget um, given our economic circumstances, uh, the, the current ec uh, economic circumstances we face? Mike, I mean, I guess I'm asking you for the, the good and the bad and what you would have liked to have seen uh, mentioned. Look, quite frankly, we all know that the global economic environment is extraordinarily difficult at the moment. And domestically, we've scored a number of own goals over the last few years, all of which contribute to make our environment much tougher than it otherwise should have been. So if you take that as, as the starting point, I certainly think that this budget is, is pretty much as close to as good as it was going to get. If you look at, I always sort of look at a budget and you say, well, what are the big the sort of big numbers and metrics around that. We've got a fiscal deficit, that's how much more money every year do we spend than we actually earn in tax revenue. And that fiscal deficit, you know, starts at 4.2%, which is slightly better than, than the markets previously thought, and then reduces by about a percent over the next three or four years. So so fiscal consolidation, I think, is, is good. Debt to GDP in this budget remains at about 72% of GDP, including the takeover of, of Eskom. Now, that's that's high, but it's certainly a lot lower than we thought it was going to be a few years ago. And strategically, this budget focuses on macroeconomic stability, those fiscal numbers I've just spoken about, and then it focuses on energy, logistics, and crime, which we know are absolutely the most important things facing our country to lift levels of economic growth going forward. Yeah, okay. Sorry, just to um, um, interrupt there, um, uh, when either of you are not speaking, if you don't mind muting yourself, because we're getting a bit of feedback on the line, and I'm sure it's very disconcerting to both um, you, Mike, and you, Boosie. So, um, so Boosie, I'm going to go to you now. I mean, what is there anything that you think was missed? Um, um, I mean, Mike's saying it's as good as it probably could get at this point in time. What were you hoping for? Yeah, and again, I really agree with Mike. It's a solid budget. It's balancing the need for extra expenditure in critical areas, along with a strong focus on stabilizing the debt. You know, so there are no major surprises that came through. It's in line with expectations. It's a very good budget. We continue to hobble along as a country. The 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 the, the minister tried his best, you know, to really try and make sure that there is something for everyone. There is something for big businesses, there is something for SMEs, there is something for retirees, there is something for employees, there is something for homeowners, there is something for grant recipients, there is something for, you know, the emergency relief and rehabilitation efforts, there is something for manufacturers of foodstuffs, you know, it really tries its best to cover all areas. And I have no doubt once again that the markets broadly outside of ESCOM are really going to react positively to the, to, the, to the budget because the country, to Mike's point, has really addressed the critical problems that we're actually, you know, are facing as a country while still retaining the fiscal discipline. Yeah. So again, it was a very difficult job, you know, but the minister did a very, very decent job together with National Treasury in putting this together. I mean, certainly one does got the impression that National Treasury is still a very solid institution and you can see that in, in how it highlights the issues um, that we are experiencing. I mean, if we talk about something for everyone in the budget, there was uh, a bit of a tax break 
for um, both businesses and individuals when it comes to the installation of solar PV, uh, I guess to alleviate the pressure on the grid, but also maybe down the line, contributes to our el electricity supplies. Mike, if I can go to you, um, you know, the banks have been saying for the past while that we could be unleashing a huge um, investment drive in this country as a result of all the money that is likely to flow into uh, I suppose self-sustaining renewable power solutions to our energy crisis. Did this go far enough? Because it seemed quite tame for certainly for households, um, you know, to have maybe fifteen thousand rand that you can claim back in tax. Um, I, I don't know how much that's going to unleash um, a desire to really um, go, you know, rush headlong into supplying oneself with with solar panels and inverters and, and batteries. And, and how are you going to finance yeah. that? <clears throat> no, look, I mean, you know, just to be clear, we've, we've consistently said that, that the electricity crisis that we're in is absolutely a position we should never have found ourselves in. However, again, <laughs> given that as a reality, absolutely, we see extraordinary demand for self-generation, either in the commercial industrial space or in the individual space. I think these, these um, tax incentives will certainly help at the margin but actually, right now, the biggest constraint to material rollout of, of, roof, of rooftop solar is, in fact, availability of solar panels and availability of installers and technicians in South Africa. You know, those are the blockages that will need to be cleared in addition to these incentives before we start, I think, to see rooftop solar having a much more material uh, impact on our future energy supply. Busi, are you seeing anything as the CEO of business leadership, um, any encouraging signs that more and more businesses are looking to produce uh, solar panels, for example, or, or you know the component parts to becoming energy independent? And is it something that you as an organization would try and support? Um, or is it sort of beyond your remit? Actually, when you listen to NICOM, you will see that the plan that they actually have over the next five years of bringing 39,000 megawatts into the grid, 33,000 of those megawatts are actually going to come from the private sector. And when you look at the pipeline that they have and the funds, you know, the billions of rands that have actually been committed in line with that pipeline, you will see that the private sector is coming to the party in a very significant way. I think the government has actually done very well in terms of unleashing the private sector generation, you know, and as far as energy is concerned, this is something that we should have done a long time ago, but better late than yeah. never. So the private sector is definitely excited about this. I mean, this is something that we've been advocating for, for, for from an energy reform perspective to say that unleash the private sector, allow the private sector to actually, you know, uh, invest in these spaces. And the same is true, by the way, in all the network industries. The same is true in transport. And I'm glad that we're actually seeing efforts by government to allow the private sector to come into the logistics and transport space, you know, in a very significant way. You know, water should actually be done, you know, uh, 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 or rather should follow a similar route, as it were. So there is no reason why South Africa should be where it is when you've got such a rich private sector constituency who is willing to invest money, you know, in these infrastructure yep. projects that the government is talking about. And Minister Inok Gorongwane actually spoke about um, trying to remember the figure 
uh, that you know uh, investment that is actually going to be unleashed through SOEs, and and alongside that, the private sector can actually, I'm sure, you know, invest twice that amount. So mm. you just need to create a conducive environment for the private sector to come to the party and leverage its balance sheet because we know that the government balance sheet is currently weak. And yeah. once you do that, and once you provide the right policy framework and environment, then you see the private sector coming to a party in a significant way. And that is what we're experiencing, you yeah. know, from a private uh, energy generation space. If I can mention uh, comments from, I suppose, your counterpart at Business Unity South Africa, Kaz Kuvadia, talking uh, in the last couple of days, saying the private sector has, over the past four years, consistently offered to work with government to bring its capacity and resources to bear in addressing some of the crises. We've undertaken detailed work on energy, logistics, law and order, but have not been able to convince government to partner with us. I honestly get the feeling that private sector isn't, is trying to hold the party and government is not coming to the party. Um, and it just feels that there is still, government talks the talk, but doesn't actually bring in private sector expertise to fix anything really. Um, yeah, I I'd like to get your perspective on that. So I, 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 I and, and the comment that Kess has made is actually true. We would like to see more private sector participation. We would like to see more private sector uh, involvement. We have actually offered more than what is currently happening. But I must say that there's quite a few areas where we are actually being allowed in. I mean, you would know that the reforms that we've been able to undertake or that were able to be undertaken by the Operation Volindela team have been through the support of the private sector. I mean, the PSEC work, and I think you had the minister talking about the rationalization, you know, of SOEs and closing some of the SOEs, that work undertaken by PSEC was actually supported by the private sector. Yeah. You know, the NPA has actually been, so is, is actually been supported by, by the private sector. And you have seen the momentum that they've actually had, you know, uh, last year with the 18 seminal cases that have actually taken to the Pots. You know, so there is a lot that we're actually doing where we are being allowed in, but there is actually scope to do more, you know. Sure. So I think what we're appealing uh, for, you know, to government is allow the private sector in a more meaningful way. I think one area where we have actually not been as successful as we'd like to be is an area around transport and logistics, you know. Uh, well, exactly. Yeah. The issue of tests that are actually being are applied by the by the by the public sector and by government in particular. Well, I mean, transport, transit is a classic example of saying, okay, we want to bring the private sector in to help run the line, but oh, we'll let you do it for two years, and you've got to carry all the financial risk, which is nuts. No one's going to do that. No private sector company is going to do that. Mike, um, just from your perspective, you know, Busi has and Cares talk about being let in. Where? Where is your clout? You guys are, are the big employers in this country. You are the big taxpayers. Why can you not use your clout in more of an aggressive way to force reform in South Africa? Uncomfortable as that might be, one gets the sense, uh, ordinary lay people such as myself, that, that this is not happening, that business doesn't use its considerable might to actually force um, a better course of action? So I, I can assure you that we have extraordinarily robust and difficult conversations very bluntly with our counterparties in, in government alongside other business leaders around what needs to be done to resolve matters. But what we all know is that 
over time, business is not going away and government's not going away. <laughs> Throwing hand grenades at each other in the public domain, we don't really think is likely to lead to outcomes that are positive. You might feel you know, particularly happy for a few moments as you've thrown a few hand grenades, but I don't think that that's likely to lead to a better outcome in the lives of ordinary South Africans. So we choose to be you know, robust behind closed doors and as constructive as we can to do everything we can to work with like-minded fellow South Africans to improve our country. And, and, and certainly, as Busi said, a number of the reforms that you see, albeit much slower than we would like, but a number of the reforms that you do see coming through around energy, energy, private energy generation, around the, the spectrum auctions, etc. All of that has been the product of the approach that I have just outlined. But there's also an argument that actually big business um, will benefit irrespective of what the leadership of government is. And that's um, the, the real people who suffer are, are small businesses, uh, startups, entrants into the business sector and business Big business, simply by its nature, is the incumbent and it'll play with whatever political leadership is there at the time and it will be okay. Do you take that criticism kindly? I mean, Busi, maybe uh, ask you. You know, I, I, I really don't think that the private sector in this country and its patriotism is actually being recognized as it should. And maybe it's our own fault. We're not telling enough of our own story. You know, but I'm yet to see a more patriotic private sector in any other country. Private sector in this country is coming to the party in a very significant way. I mean, there is a lot that we are carrying on government's behalf. You know, a lot of the uh, 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 progress that the president actually outlined last week, you know, it's because the private sector has actually made it uh, uh, possible. You know, the private sector's posture in South Africa today is how can we help? How do we come to the party? How do we actually seek a more collaborative partnership with government? You know, the reason why we've been asking government for a bilateral engagement is so that business and government can actually find each other on these significant areas. And we've identified the significant areas where we think business and government should actually be doing more work. You know, so I, I really think that uh, uh, we're going to have to try and, and I guess from ourselves, to try and really highlight, you know, the the, the great work that the private sector continues to do. Yes, there is a lot that we should be doing, but 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 uh, 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 we 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 are coming to the party in a, in a in a in a significant way. Of course, we are not a non-for-profit organization, so we are not going to apologize. You know, for still ensuring sure. that we generate profits as we do what we do because if we don't generate profits then we can't actually hire people if we can't hire people then you actually can't you know deal with the unemployment issues that we have you know and 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 so it's necessary that we continue doing what we do as our order of business but i think we'll still come to a party in a significant yeah. way no, absolutely. I mean, I, I am not uh, against profits by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Mike, if I can just go to the point Busi made um, early on about um, how you'd like to see a little bit more improvement in the transport side of the business. If we talk about Transnet, and, and you seem to be nodding your head when I said um, the terms in which Transnet is inviting private companies um, to come and operate the rail lines are just unfavorable. And of course, you know, as, as, as one of the big banks, you would be there to finance um, these players. Is there any way to, to actually, uh, I, I don't get through this impasse 
that that you can say, well, look, on a on a commercial basis, this is how we would do it, and and this is how you should do it. I mean, are you confident that the transnet is kind of going to see the light from a commercial perspective? Because clearly, if the mining sector is carrying us to the extent that they are, I mean, you saw 30% of, of corporate uh, tax take was from the mining sector this year. Um, we really need them to be working as efficiently as possible and getting their, their uh, minerals out of the ports. Uh, um, uh, yeah. No, so absolutely. We would certainly know that our our mining colleagues are in active engagement with Transnet around um, how best the overall infrastructure can be improved so that we can export more minerals, so that we can grow the GDP, so that we can effectively fund, um, you know, the deficits in, in our country. And, you know, I think, you know, markets would have, have shown Transnet exactly the challenge when you try and, you know, privatize something on a two-year um, basis, you get no takers. Yeah. So, you know, next time, I guess you would probably be a little bit more sensible. OK, well, so are you confident they'll be a bit more sensible, both of you? Yeah, I am confident. I think that, that you know, we, we know that in this country on energy, logistics, water and crime, we are at a crisis point. We simply do not have the space to make mistakes and not move with our, our foot firmly on the accelerator. And we certainly shout that message as loudly as we can, wherever we can. Okay. Um, just the last question, really, to both of you. Um, the, the Treasury sketched out three economic scenarios in the budget review. So the one was the high road, I suppose, you know, economic scenario A, where growth averages 1.8% from this year to 2025. We get stable electricity. Um, we get a lot of investment. Um, there's a downside scenario, scenario B, where power cuts intensify this year and next. Uh, and we basically get real GDP growth slowing to 1.3%. Um, uh, oh, sorry, 0% this year and then only recovering to 1.3% in 2025. And then there's scenario C, which is really um, uh, a real uh, a poor showing where GDP growth um, slows uh, and then maybe reaches 1.7% by 2025. Sorry, that's actually the middle road scenario. Busi, uh, which scenario do you think we're headed on given our current um, actions? You know, I really think that um, we're going to have to be pragmatic, especially looking at how down deep the hole we are as a country. Let's be a pragmatic and, and accept that to solve our problems, we're actually going to take more pain before we actually see the trajectory, you know, the economic trajectory changing. Let's accept that um, um, uh, we're gonna also have to try and change the pace at which we actually implement some of these reforms for us to be able to see the levels of investment that we actually like to see. Let's also, let's also accept that we're sitting in an environment now because of our previous failures to implement where it's now underwhelming when we say we're going to do anything. So I think there's going to have to be less talk, you know, and more action. And I think we would actually be able to uh, uh, change our trajectory if we are more focused on implementing and, and 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 actually delivering on all those promises that we actually continue to make. So I'll probably maybe take the 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 B scenario, you know, mm. to say that 
um, let's expect marginal growth, you know, or probably for the country to be standing at a somewhat standstill for quite some time while we actually uh, 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 focus on implementation okay. and ensuring that we can deliver on all the promises that we've actually uh, made uh, from both a SON and a budget perspective. Mike, are you a little bit more optimistic or, or do you also see a sort of no real growth in the next couple of years? Yeah, so I would certainly, I, I didn't pick exactly all of your scenarios. I think I would be in the C. Um, you know, we think maybe 0.7% type GDP growth this year, uh, lifting to maybe sort of 1.2, 1.3% next year. And, you know, quite simply, there just, there isn't enough electricity supply for the country to grow faster than that. And it is not possible for all of the new generation activity that we've spoken about to be connected fast enough yeah. to materially influence supply in the next 24 months. So I think we have an extraordinarily difficult 24 months. And then beyond that, you know, there is the prospect of lifting growth rates um, up, you know, beyond 2%, but I don't see that in the next two years. Okay. Well, hopefully we chat in, uh, say, three years' time, and we've got a growth rate of 4%, and we're all crowing from the rooftops. Um, Mike, Busi, we have to leave it there, but thank you very much for joining us uh, this afternoon. Uh, good to chat to you both. Busi Mavuso is CEO of Business Leadership South Africa, and Mike Brown is CEO of NetBank.